Hello and welcome to True Crime Diary, in which we take a light-hearted look at a serious subject. Every two weeks we look back through the stories of true crime to find an event that took place on this week in history. I'm your host Mark Decano and with me as always are my friends Jed Lester Hello and Rue Turner Hello Please leave a review on Apple Podcasts if you can and if you can't, you can always email us to stuff at truecrimediary.co.uk and in appreciation of every five-star review, we'll give you a shout-out on a future episode. The date we're looking at this week is the 22nd of March, and in the year 1739, the trial began of the man who'd been arrested under the name John Palmer, but it turned out that the man in the dock was none other than the notorious highwayman and killer Dick Turpin himself. So, Jed, what do you know about this man? Um, He had good sideburns <laughs> in the 1970s TV adaptation. That was his main attribute. <laughs> <laughs> I would say Dick Turpin is another one of the... Um, he wasn't in any way a hero or nice, but history mm. and how we are remembering him has, for some reason, has dictated that we all think he's a lovable rogue. Yeah, definitely. Uh, partly because of that TV show in the 70s called Dick Turpin. <laughs> but that's the case, isn't it? It's like the, what were we talking about And another one? Billy the Kid. Yeah. That kind of thing where... I think Robin of Sherwood's probably some, another good example of that, isn't he? Yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Where somebody or some several people or just historians several years down the line have decided to turn him into something that was good. Yeah, you're right. It's definitely not the uh, the hero he's been painted as. That came much, much later. He was a common criminal, really. Sure, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I definitely thought, ah, oh, mega. Dick Turpin. He's brilliant. <laughs> um, but, and having a tiny, a brief look at his little uh, CV, I was thinking, well, how did I, <laughs> did I think he was any good? Yeah, well, he was born in um, 1705 in uh, Hempstead in Essex. He uh, became an apprentice butcher. His father was a butcher. Uh, he apprenticed um, for a while in the village of Whitechapel, which we now know as the East End of London, but it was a village at the time. And after he married Elizabeth Millington in 1725, yes, he opened his own butcher shop in Essex. Not another butcher. <laughs> yeah. Now, as he grew up, he fell in with a gang called the Essex Gang or the Gregory Gang. Okay. You know, butcher. They're, they're stealing deer. This is like 1730s now. Um, they're stealing deer, so he's in a position, obviously, to cut it up, you uh, know, but, yes. butcher the meat, oh, and course, sell on yeah. the meat. Yeah, yeah. Very handy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. He knew what to do with it. So basically fencing. Yeah, fencing the meat, basically. Yeah, exactly. But the... Um, the gang found that rather than, you know, hunting deer, poaching deer, um, it was a lot easier if they just attacked farmhouses, break down the door and steal everything that they've got. <laughs> so what do you mean they would turn up and instead of sneakily going to, whatever, kill a deer, they just go like, right, we're here, I don't know, tie them up and then literally kill everything. Right. Yeah, I mean, the typical activity, they'd attack yeah. uh, farmhouses yeah. around London and Essex. Overnight. Typically older yeah. farmers. Um, and the usual activity is they, they, they break their way in, um, but they beat the owners. Sure, yeah. And then have free reign. Classically, they a uh, classic trope was they would hold, they'd hold the farmer over the fireplace and uh, until he right. yielded where his cash was hidden. Rush to their chestnuts. 
I um I for some reason I've got on my brain that mm. they used along the lines of that they used uh, boiling water as a as a kind of like they I don't know they'd pour it on them or something like that but as a massive massive deterrent they would also have no qualms about chucking a is that true yeah well yeah definitely did it once right oh, okay yep. I mean, they'd cut faces with a knife, they'd beat them. Uh, there's an incident uh, of uh, a housemate being raped, probably by one of the Gregory brothers. Oh, yeah. Turpin also oh, was accounted okay. as having beaten the farmer on his bare bottom wow. with, his, <laughs> with his pistols. Gun bomb. Not a, not a nice group of people at all. No, no. That's, just, that's pillaging, isn't it, really? It's just rape and pillage of country houses. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, these are, there's no heroes. These are criminals. They're like the lowest of the low. They're violent and unvarnished criminality about them. They beat up people and get away with like 30 pounds. To be fair, it's quite a lot, but yeah. So was he part of all of this? Yeah, oh yeah, very much so. In the sense of, he wasn't just hanging around sharpening his knives with, to chop up. He was like, yeah, let's do this. Well, he got more money from housebreaking than, than um, from the butcher shop. Right, okay. And he seemed to be quite zealous about it, but you know, by all accounts, by, by reading the history, uh, yeah, he got more and more involved with the gang, and he was centre, centre ground. Oh, okay. In the gang, right? Okay. By the time in you into the 1730s. What was the kind of law at the time? Was it kind of? I mean, I can't imagine it was much uh, deterrent. That, but I don't mean being hanged. I mean just the notion of any form of police I'm talking about I mean that yeah. wasn't the case was it no well it wasn't any police it would have been um, the the, okay. the soldiers the redcoats would have been dispatched again no investigation like we talked about really in the Burke and Hare episode which was 100 years after this you know there, there would have been the, okay. the military and that's only if they just happened to be caught or someone told them that they did it he done it did he get him yeah yeah other than that, 99% of the stuff they would have done would have been just do what you want. Yeah, arguably. People would have defended them, their own homesteads, you know. They would have had their own weapons. But there wouldn't have been an investigation. Yeah, as far as I understand, the, the justice system at the time is if you, if you ended up in court, it was basically people accuse you and then other yeah. people have to stand as character witness. There's no evidence or anything. It's just, I say he did it. And these people say he didn't, and I trust nice those bloke. people more than those people. Yeah, therefore, yeah, yeah. he gets off. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So he's a nice bloke. He never done it. Got yeah. <laughs> he was never there when it didn't happen. It was illegal for a defendant to have legal representation. At the time. <laughs> no. You couldn't. Uh, it was literally just witnesses. One group of witnesses word against the other. Okay, that's just bizarre, isn't it? I mean, what thousands of years of no of just. You can do what you want, basically, can't you? Unless someone says he did it and someone else agrees, yeah, <laughs> and then and then you're dead. But but the up until uh, I don't know, two hundred years ago, there were effectively no form of law or police. Yeah, well, just must have been horrendous. I suppose. I mean, I'm can only or or brilliant. <laughs> yeah, depending on your perspective. Depending, yeah, which side yeah, yeah. of the blue line you're on. Yeah, I mean, I can only imagine yeah, yeah. it was basically mob justice. You know, if yeah. everyone knows you're a criminal, they'll gang up on you, and then you have the military, and then you have finally right, yeah. some form of police. Yeah. Community justice. 
So the Essex gang, uh, they kind of broke up as members were slowly captured and executed. Uh, John Wheeler, who was only 15, he gave a description of uh, Turpin. He was freed for turning on the others. Oh, yeah. He gave a description of uh, a tall, fresh-coloured man, ah, okay. very much marked with the smallpox. Wow. Okay. Uh, okay. I don't know what that means. Spots. Is that true? Or? Yeah. Pit, yeah, popped face. Ah, okay. Yeah. yeah, it doesn't look anything like Richard O'Sullivan. <laughs> no. Handsome, sideburned man. Still alive, by the way. He wasn't hanged. <laughs> uh, and Mary Brazier, uh, the only woman of the group who was uh, acted as a fence, she was transported to the 13 colonies, or we would know them today as uh, the United States. Was that get out to the 13 colonies and that's it? M- meaning go away? Meaning she's probably, depending on where they sent her... She would have thought this is this is brilliant. <laughs> no, it would have been a penal service. Oh right, oh, okay. So it was. <laughs> so it was serving serving time somewhere else. Yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah. She would okay, have, fine, fine. Go to Florida. <laughs> Go and spend two weeks in with Disney Banished. World. And, uh, <laughs> Ye <laughs> backwards on a horse into the desert. Ye Disney World. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, okay. So it was actually to serve a bit of. Cracks and rocks, yeah, as opposed yeah. to well, it would have been probably agriculture, like digging fields and raising crops, that sort of thing. Okay. Uh, so Turpin's now he strikes out on his own, mm-hmm. goes into what he's known for, which is highway robbery, but literally for like a few months. Damn and deliver! He's known as Turpin the Butcher. Right. Okay. Again, highwayman mining must have been so. If you had, you know, the decided that you're going to do it, must have been just so easy. Um, and unless there was comeback from, you know, I don't know, they were armed as well or something. But the it must have been so easy to just pick off just everyone, basically. Well, they might have been armed, the carriages. Well, the, the driver of a coach would have been carrying a blunderbuss. Yeah, yeah sure, exactly. sure. Absolutely. And it will cut you in half. There's, oh, <laughs> there's yeah, no yeah, two yeah. ways about it. It'll take a chunk out of you the size of your head. So if, and you know... If the, the coach driver like just manages to pull off one shot at you, that's that's it as the end of your highway career. So so they definitely would have been armed with, I'm talking about all of them, armed with something like that, would they? Yeah, most of the time. Just because because basically you can, it's just a bloke yeah, with a yeah. with a coach and a load of horses, which are all valuable. It'd be a normal weapon for a for a rider to to carry yeah, on the front sure. of a coach. Right, perhaps I'm. Perhaps I'm making it out to be sh- shooting yeah. fish in a barrel, but he, but even so, the it, I bet they were did very well. And these are single shot weapons. So if you jump out on a coach, let's say you manage to get one of your to get your pistol pointed at the so the, the driver before he raises his blunderbuss. Yep. And he's not willing to take the gamble that you're not going to fire before he gets it up. If you you've miss, only got one shot out yeah. of that, that's it. You know, it's meaning what? It just takes forever to reload. Yeah, right. yeah. Okay. You've got to, you've got to pour powder into it. You've got you know you've got to get a little swad of yes. cotton down the yeah, end. Okay. You've got to you know you've got to make it count basically. Yeah, yeah you basically right. make you make the shot in the barrel before you fire it. It's not like just sticking a bullet in even. Give me a minute. Not like a you know. Um. All right. Perhaps I've. And the driver assuming. may well have a couple of pistols on him as well. Sure, yeah, case, yeah, yeah. You know. I have two guns, one for each of you. But the passengers in the coach might be armed as well. You don't know what, when you're leaning in the carriage window, you might get your head blown yeah. off. 
Just for clarity, a blunderbuss is like a, a basically a shotgun with a flared barrel. It's got a bell on. It looks like a like a trombone, you know. Yes, it does, doesn't it? And when it fires, it goes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the most deadly thing about it, apart from the bullets. As it, it's basically got, has it got a load of bullets yeah. in it? Basically, it spreads the buckshot out as far or a wide an arc as possible. So. You could uh, how many how many bullets? I mean, could they all miss you? Unlikely, right? So there's you like you have to fire it in response to someone shouting, "Let him have it!" On top of a sweet shop for it to miss you, you know? <laughs> sure, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know because it it really has got a wide end bit, doesn't it? <laughs> meaning meaning there's no aim or much direction. Yeah, exactly. It's a close quarter weapon, so it would literally be for people who aren't very good shots. Oh, okay. It's a reasonable. It's a reasonable grouping, though. You can you can see people shoot them online, and it's quite a grouping from a from about sort of four or six meters. If you shoot a melon, it, they're clustered about the shape of the melon, so it will just obliterate a melon from about oh, four okay. or six meters away, which right. is fairly right. Okay. And if you been <laughs> watching yeah, that, YouTube gives you these things. <laughs> well, I'm sure it does, but I don't know what I typed in them. for it to suggest. <laughs> Watch this melon being blown melons? up with a blunderbuss. Ob- obliter- ob- obliterated melons. Man shoots over melons. Man empties load over melons. No, stop messing about. Uh, something I could tell you about uh, the, the flintlock slash matchlock system is uh, phrases come from firing those weapons. So there's um, uh, flash in the pan. Flash in the pan. So, which is um, where the the pan is where you would load your primary, your priming gunpowder. Oh, right. And it, the flash in the pan occurs when you when you fire the weapon, but lights the gunpowder in the pan, causing a flash, but doesn't actually follow through and light the gunpowder in the barrel. So it doesn't, nothing happens. The, the pan is the little cup that holds the powder on the side of the. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, fine. So basically, you get a moment of. Bright light and activity, and then a flash in nothing. the pan. Right. I.e., you know, the modern day interpretation of it's a flash in the pan, like a, a, a short-lived fad. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, I obviously know the modern bit. I'm just, I could never, I would never have known that. What, what are the other gun-based facts? There's one of the things that is really hard to conceive now is that these guns were fired with a with a literal. I call them a flintlock because it it's fired with a literal piece of flint. Hitting a piece of steel and hoping a spark comes off and hits yeah. the pan. And then there's a matchlock, which is basically it's, it has a yeah, match. Exactly. Yeah. It. It's basically a, 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 yeah. a lit piece of uh, like a like fuse, a fuse. Yeah, where yeah, the yeah. flint would have been mounted, and it's basically a slow burning fuse. And it, right. the fuse lights the gunpowder as opposed to the striking of the flint. Either way, it's a spark. And then you've got uh, you've got the other term, which is um, going off half cocked. Yeah. Uh, yes, which is the same kind of analogy, is it? It didn't work. Yeah. Well, yeah, going off half-cocked is um, if you, you pull the lock back once back, and yeah. half-cock it so that you can prime the pan with the gunpowder, and then when you're ready to fire, you fully cock it, you pull it back a second time. A second time. Yeah. And then it strikes with enough force to light the gunpowder. If you uh, go off half-cocked, obviously it hasn't got enough force to make a spark, yeah, so... Right. And that's you know. So if you go off half cocked, it means you're, you're you're unprepared. You're not really yeah, right. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. And you might not get a spark, or you know, a fella could get an education just listening to this guy. And of course, you can't wave these things around like a weapon. 
because it's just loose powder and it'll fall out the side. Yeah, well, you'd load it into the pan and the pan would have a, a lid that you would close. So there's no di- there's no diving in slow motion as you do a <laughs> somersault over yeah, a, yeah. a Ford, <laughs> Ford Cortina. Rolling over the front of your horse. Uh, oh, okay. So that, right. So you just better hope it's not raining or windy. You know. If it's raining, yes. Is that the end of that? Yeah, no firing guns in the, they're running around in the rain. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, here's a here's a thought. How about a little gunbrella? <laughs> a gunbrella. <laughs> a gunbrella. I, I would one. have invented. I would have invented one of them. Yeah. Patent pending. You know, like um, a cocktail. <laughs> a little Chinese cocktail. Yeah, cocktail umbrella. stick. Yeah. Uh, no, what's it called? Co- cocktail yeah, a umbrella. Parasol. That is, that is the right yeah, size, yeah. surely, is it? To cover the pan. Ah, why didn't I'd I? I'd say that was perfect. If only you were born over two hundred years ago. For all our for all our sakes. When we've invented <laughs> time trouble. <laughs> You're going to use it to to do that. <laughs> Why not? That's a surefire time travelling money making scheme. So Turpin the butcher, then he would ride around Essex and West London, Putney Barnes, Hounslow, that sort of right. area. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 I knew. I, well, I say I knew. I'd heard about the Hounslow Heath thing, but I must admit, I thought I'd. I kind of put it down to, I don't know, just someone thinking of uh, a place to put the uh, TV show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Meaning, you know, oh, let's put it here. But that that's true, is it? The Hounslow Heath thing. Yeah. What was the other one you said? Putney Common. Putney Barnes. Barnes Common, yeah. I know right. all those. Wow. But at that time, they weren't Barnes Common and Hounslow Heath. It was just... It was just... The land. Yeah, sorry. It yeah. was just... Just one sure, big, yeah. one yeah, big yeah. piece of you, land called. Is England. it the bit between the bit between the Barnes High Street and the King the King's Road, <laughs> between Starbucks and? <laughs> so Turpin was riding with a guy named Matthew King. He's sometimes referred to as Tom King. Mm-hmm. Richard Bays uh, gave an account whereby King fired a shot at Bays, but he uh, there was a flash in the pan and the weapon didn't discharge. And Bays uh, grabbed hold of him. And King called out for Turpin to shoot, and Turpin apparently fired, hitting King. Uh, King cursed him as a coward, and Turpin rode away. Get off that horse! You're public horse! Yes. Uh, King died of his uh, wound. So Turpin fled on horseback to evade arrest. Right. Yeah, I think according to the um, court paper at the time, and he shot King in the thigh. Yeah, apparently so. Uh, the only real account is that of Bayes. Um, and, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean... Um, sorry. So that little incident you were talking about would did did that lead to? Are we talking about that because it led to his arrest? Well, no. He he fled on horseback. He ah, we love a good flea. So um, he fled. Not not only the scene, but the whole profession. For some reason, I mean, I'm sure he could have just gone a couple of miles down the road, and no one would have ever heard of him and carried on as normal, but. He chose not to. Yeah, well, he fled to um, he fled to Epping Forest, and Thomas Morris, his uh, servant, yep. saw him, I've seen him, um, and tried to capture him. Uh, okay, but Tur- Turpin shot Morris, killed him. Ah. Okay, <laughs> yeah. the end of that then. What a way to hide! And he escaped. Yeah. Am I right in in understanding that the penalty for horse thievery was also death? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, at the point that he shot that guy, there's no real like increase in the level of his criminality it's not it's not like had he been caught at that point he would have just been spanked on the bottom and sent on his way 
Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, it, it it was already well known for for burglary and rape and horse thievery, well, which all yeah, carried death sentences. We've talked about it before. Yeah, you, know, you hang a person, you hang a person for murder, or you hang them for a hundred murders. You know, right? If you've already done a, committed crimes that are that have a death sentence attached, then it doesn't matter what you do after that. You might as well be hanged for a sheep as a lamb. Okay. Incremental. And after the murder, a reward went out for Turpin's capture in the amount of £200. Right. Which in current uh, equivalent is um, £30,000. That's all right. And not just £200 English pounds, but also a free pardon. A free pardon? Wow. Hmm. Okay. Anyone who captured and turned in. Turpin. Regardless of what they'd done. So get a jail free card. Pretty good. Wow. It's worth mentioning that £200, the, the reward at the time, far from the £30,000 equivalent in today's money, at the time that actually would have been about seven or eight years income for a, for a labourer. And and for Ruth. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's seven or eight years in that money. <laughs> He's moved on. He's moved to Bruff, a town in Yorkshire using a the alias John Palmer. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Right. What he was doing, he was trading, he was he was posing as a legitimate horse trader, but effectively he was he was stealing horses from Lincolnshire and then selling them, trading them at market um, in Yorkshire. So that's not very far, is it? I mean that's you know, it's a day's it's a day's horse ride. So he's basically it's a of a horse, horse yeah, getting yeah. on it, riding it away and the following morning taking it to market. Sure, yeah. Be, I mean, you'd, it'd be easy, wouldn't it? You'd want to take it. If you've got a stolen car, I'm not going to steal it in Kingston and sell it in Richmond, you know, just 10 miles away. No. It's, it doesn't, just doesn't sound like very smart thievery, you know. Right, if I, I tell you what I'd do if I was him. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'd steal the most normal-looking horse. <laughs> Meaning, say horses. Not a pantomime horse. Do you think horses are mainly brown? <laughs> I'd definitely I'd steal a brown. Definitely all the no, brown but ones. I would say they're, they're mainly brown. <laughs> yeah, yeah, all the brown I ones. think yeah, they're yeah. mainly brown. I'm going to go out on a limb and say horses are mainly brown. I love it. I'll put on a T-shirt. Well, the white ones are only white when they're young. Are they? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I would steal a brown one, or brown ones, because they're less just distinctive. They're just kind of... There's loads of brown horses. <laughs> But you know the like I don't know so, the, some of them look so like, like stealing a silver car. It'd just be easier to pass. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know the courses that look like Frisian cows. They're kind of just black and white. Like forget it. I'm not stealing one of yeah. them. I've basically got a fingerprint. Yeah, then yeah, <laughs> yeah. I um, what other ones are there? They're like grey, grey, grey horses. They're greys. The da- dapples. Are, yeah. Yep. The well, anyway, I'd steal brown horses only <laughs> just so you know jed lester horse trader we just do the brown ones did that work then his new found business well yes and no it went on for a while okay it's because he only stole brown horses clearly they couldn't tell the brown <laughs> horses apart so he got away with it for a while but ultimately he was arrested oh <laughs> so <it> didn't <laughs> so what happened was the 2nd of october 1738 so this is well over a year after the shooting of morris palmer while drunk uh, shot a gamecock. 
shot a game cock. Owned by a man, man named John Robinson. How, how do you know that a, a cock is game? Uh, it was uh, standing proud. Oh, that's oh, I see you mean a fighting cock, right? Yeah. Blimey. He Why? shot one. To, to eat it or something? Because he was drunk and a oh, dick. Okay. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yes, he was drunk and jumping around. Everybody who's anybody drinks. So he shot this game cock belonging to Robinson. Robinson had a go at Turpin. Making feet. He shot him. my cock. <laughs> Turpin threatened to shoot Robinson as well. Right, okay. Yeah, never never argue with a drunk man who shot your cock. Yeah. Uh, presumably, uh, he asked him to wait while he reloaded his pistol. <laughs> I'd like to see... I'd like, it'd be quite amusing to watch a drunk man trying to load a, <laughs> trying to load a pistol. Yeah, yeah. Within a minute. He wouldn't be able to keep it level. Yeah, It'd like, be like trying to get your bus pass out drunk at a bus stop, wouldn't it? So he just took um, took umbrage. I mean, is that... A, is that I mean, you're not going to get... Are you going to get arrested for shooting a chicken? I mean... Yeah, well, it's destruction of property, arguably, isn't it? In his shop, if you shoot it, you bought it. You shot my cock. Yep. So, Tobin was taken before Justice of the Peace. Okay. Again, he's under the name Palmer. Uh, he's deposed by the, the Justice, and they... Basically, he gets to pay, like, a bail. Okay. Or, or be bound over, which is, he would be, imp- you can pay for bail, or you can be in prison. Yeah, yeah. A bribe. Um, Turpin refused to pay, so he was held for the trial for the shooting of the Gamecock <laughs> in Beverly, the market town. So while the authorities made uh, more inquiries about Palmer, they find that he's suspected of uh, horse theft. So now they're going to bring charges of horse theft, and the, the Justice of the Peace decides that the case is now going to be too big, so... He should go to York, yeah. the capital of the county, yeah. um, for the York Assizes. Again, he's offered opportunity to pay. He yeah. refuses to pay. So he's transferred to York Castle, where he's bound over to await trial at the York Assizes for horse theft. Mm. Yep. Then it gets weirder. Turpin wrote to his brother-in-law um, with the amazing name of Pumper Rivenall. <laughs> Pumper? <laughs> what was the surname? R- Rivenall. <laughs> Excellent. Now, Pompa Rivenal has sent this letter, right? And he sees that it has a stamp of the city of York, not a stamp like we would know, like a lick and stick mm. stamp, uh, like a rubber stamp, or like a. I suppose it would have been a wax seal. So he gets this. It's come from York, and he's like, mm, I don't know anyone in York. So Rivenal gets this letter from York, and he refuses to pay the postage because uh, it's just at the time you didn't pay to send letters; you paid to receive yeah, them right. so that's yeah, that. that's basically when spam was invented yeah yeah <laughs> can you imagine if you want if you wanted to to really bugger someone up you could just write a load of letters yeah absolutely yeah letters for everyone so at some point someone made the absolutely obvious decision to reverse <laughs> that method and the set sender yeah. sender pays yeah yeah well exactly i mean they're sending they're sending letters all over the country for nothing. Yeah, you just say... And then you deliver it and they go, oh, I don't want or, it. Or, I haven't got any money. So there's all this paper going round and round, no one's paying for it. Until some genius said, yeah, why don't we do it the other way around? Yeah, yeah. We've been going about this all wrong. Yeah, it's a much more sensible business model. <laughs> so this letter that uh, Pomper wouldn't pay for, yep. it gets moved to Saffron Walden, which is like a hub where they're gathering all these letters. There's a guy there named James Smith. Turns out, James Smith, while at school, taught Turpin how to write. Uh-huh. Okay, All right. Now, apparently, he recognised the handwriting. Really? So I, I'm, I'm going to pay I'm for this one. Some writing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hang on a minute. I know this. Yeah, yeah. 
so the let he recognised the scrawl basically. Well, he uh, James Smith went to York. Uh, he visited York Castle, and on the 23rd of February, 1739, he went to his cell and identified Palmer as Turk. Because he saw him and said, correct. Yeah, yeah, very much so. That's your man. Blimey. Case blown wide open. And £200. Thank oh, you. Oh, he did get it. Oh, well done. Just <laughs> Wow, seven years' salary. Just Yeah, yeah, yeah. In one of the few occasions that people actually get the reward, yeah, yeah. Just for recognising some... Oh, and, and going... Probably spending a week getting to York. He also married back. one of Smith's father's maids. Yeah, Elizabeth. Who did? Turpin. Presumably year, years before. Yes. Turpin's wife, Elizabeth, was a maid. Right. Smith's father's yeah. maid. Yeah, because he said, he said in court, um, I knew his father and all his relations, and he married one of my father's maids. So he knew him very well. Is the point. Yeah, yeah. Knew him very well. He was well. a good witness. So on the 22nd of March, 1739, the trial opens. Yes, yeah, yeah. Now he's under trial under the name Richard Turpin for horse theft. So that was the main... So they knew two... They had the two... Well, one of them was alias and one of them is real name. But a massive list of crimes. Did that mean the horse theft was top or... Because they started off with that. The horse that they were able to prove more or less with their prosecution witnesses. Yeah, sure, yeah. One of the interesting things about that is that when they read out the charges, they misstated the place and date of the crime for which he was charged. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So technically, arguably, we would have now we would call a mistrial. A horse theft which occurred in a different place whilst he was in prison. Oh, oh, so you mean that was the? <laughs> it was true, but they got the, they got the dates wrong. Well, my my point is, they led with horse theft as opposed to murdering yeah, someone in Epping Forest. Yeah, well, that was you know with the gang. Okay, you know, the, there's no witnesses to the Epping Forest event. You know, there was it's difficult to yep. to prove. Not that there was a lot of evidence in you know anyway. Yep. He argued that he was unprepared for his defence. There were no defence witnesses to call. They only had uh, accusers, prosecution witnesses. But the judge was quite dismissive. He uh, he said, well, you know, it's, that's irrelevant because you knew when the assizes were going to be, it's up to you to make arrangements for your own defence, you know, from from, <laughs> from your jail cell. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it isn't irrelevant, but anyway, yeah, yeah he's, he's just being judgy. <laughs> <laughs> just being judgmental. Basically, he... He was judging him <laughs> and uh, judging the book by its cover and basically thought he was guilty, clearly, before they even started. I wonder how much uh, how much pressure he thought, really, that he was under, considering they wanted to send him to, um, to the other court to be tried. And he said, no, we're going to try him here. I just wonder you know, whether there's a bit of ego in that and he wanted to be the guy that dealt with this and not pass it off onto senior courts you know. I don't know does it does it work like that where you you get the uh, the kind of all star case it probably does doesn't it the big name case yeah there's going to be some sort of kudos I guess slaps in the back over port and cigars yeah you know, for being the man who sent Turpin down yeah sure yeah yeah we've talked about some short jury deliberations but at the end of this trial the jury didn't even leave the courtroom you know oh. 
So they, they didn't confer, they didn't discuss. There was no... They finished their argument, and then they all went... They all went... Yeah, just literally... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They turned to one another. Oh, Guilty. Yeah. They all turned Guilty. around, shrugged and nodded. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I suppose the, the only other thing is that, in with hindsight, and the fact that he confessed on the on the uh, scaffold is that they were right but but even so that's a bit a little bit quick isn't it would they have had would they have had to have had had well would it have been 12 good men and true or would it have just been all in agreement or majority verdict or first come first seated i should think <laughs> well they would have been all men certainly yeah you could you could so rig a jury meaning just put your people. You put twelve of your people yeah, in. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He definitely yeah, did it. Absolutely, yeah. We'll pay him. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It would have been easy. I mean, also they would have only have known from word of mouth and and you know bill posters about the story of Dick Turpin. They would have only known what they'd seen and heard in posters. So you know when they come to oh this is Dick Turpin. They go, oh yeah, I know all about him. I know everything he's done. Definitely guilty because I read it. You know, talk about media bias. Don't believe everything you hear, son. He had a lot of guests while he was in the cell. You know, gawkers came to visit him, but also people came to talk with him. So not popular enough to get some defendants, mm. wit- witnesses. But no one would stand up in court to say he's a decent yeah. chap, but they'd all want to come in and say hey, hello. Hey, Dicky. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so much so that the jailer sold drinks. <laughs> Good bloke. <laughs> he um, made over £100. Which is, by your maths... 15,000. Yeah, yeah, Jesus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's good, isn't it? Mm. He bought a new frock coat and shoes to appear before his public. Have I focused too much on my boots and all my fame and my stretchy pants? He hired five mourners to grieve for him. Yeah. Five, five pounds and ten shillings he spent on mourners. Yeah, I've seen between three pounds and five He pounds. didn't have anyone. What about his, like, wife and all that lot? I mean, I suppose they're turning their back on him, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah, okay. Sorry, I have to, uh, there's something that concerns me about paying mourners. <laughs> and it's not just the ethical concerns of paying mourners. It's, so you say, yeah, okay, give me, give me ten shillings and I'll come and cry for you. And you turn up and then you just stand there smiling. What, what, they're going to get a <laughs> refund? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, they're not going to hire again, are they? I suppose it's your last gig, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is your last gig, that's true, yeah. It's your last ten shillings. Yeah. So he was made his way to the gallows and he bowed to the crowd. He climbed up to the scaffold, yep. apparently confessing everything to the hangman. The hangman's name was Thomas Hadfield and it was tradition at the time that um, a man would be pardoned if he took up the role of executioner. <laughs> so Thomas Hadfield was actually a former highwayman. Oh, I'm, a, right. I'm an expert. Wow. Do you want to... Uh, Hang Dick Turpin and we let you off. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> maybe, maybe Turpin should have said, hey, yeah, all right, I am guilty. Who do you want me to hang? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. He climbed the ladder to the scaffold. His head was uh, put through the noose and he jumped. Yep. And they say it took him about five minutes to die from strangulation. This is a short drop scaffold, not the long drop that we would know from the, you know, no trap door. Well, there was just one thing about the... Um, are we, what do we call it? The gallows or the? Well, Mark called it the scaffold. Yeah, scaffold. Yeah, yeah scaffold. Being I think the pink, it was, it was the called pink, at the, the time the three-legged mare. <laughs> the three-legged mare, which I thought was a rather interesting name for it. 
The Three-Legged Mare. Yeah, it's based on the gallows at Tyburn, is it? which is now Marble Arch in London. That is indeed, yeah. Ooh. So rather than being like a Bunsen burner tripod that you would stand something on top of, yep. so it's not you weren't stood on the very top of it, you were just um, hanging from, from the beam rather than above it. Yeah, so three legs joined in a triangle yeah. at the top and then a rope on each side. Yeah. And then you would, you would either be standing on the ground and be with the rope around your neck and be hoisted Crumbs. into position. You'd be winched. Or yeah, yeah. the short yeah. drop where you'd, as in this case, where you would be up a ladder or on a wagon and then that would be taken away. Wow. To the cheers of the crowd. Hooray! It was a long time before Albert came along and made it a much better, more systematic... Made it an art. Yeah. Mm. Other than half an hour of wriggling. <laughs> so he's executed, he's interred. But the story doesn't end there. His body was stolen from the grave. Was it? He rose again. Why? Yeah, probably for like medical research. Uh, the authorities didn't really uh, care. They turned a blind eye to that sort of thing. But the, the populace didn't, didn't, weren't happy. The populace didn't like it. So the body was uh, recovered by a presumably a baying mob. A mob? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Is there another kind? Um, ang- angry, yeah. Oh, yeah. Seething mob. <laughs> So that brings us around to Birkenhair style. All of that was going on with it all the time, basically, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. So the mob recovered his body from whoever had dug it up. Yeah, yeah. Right. Richard of... No, no, that's wrong, isn't it? Richard of York gave... No, no, no. no that's, that's <laughs> I'm getting my Richards III. mixed up. <laughs> King Richard. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They gave... It was all in vain. <laughs> he didn't give much battle, though. So then to the immortalisation of Richard Turpin. Yes. Kind of began with Richard Bayes, the uh, the man who tried to arrest Matthew King. Yep. In 1739, uh, after Turpin's uh, execution, he wrote The Genuine History of the Life of Richard Turpin. Mm, unlikely. With the, with the word genuine in the title, it was probably mostly fiction. Really? It seems to have been kind of hurried together to take advantage of, you know. So what we know of Turpin today, he's famous for uh, the ride to York. 200 mile trip. 200 miles in under a mm. day. It was less than half a day. It was 11 hours. M1, A1. Easy. Don't know what the issue is. That was uh, <laughs> made up. <laughs> really? Downey Defoe wrote in 1727 about William Neverson, who was a highwayman. Right. He supposedly rode from Kent to York to establish an alibi in 1676. Right. Downey Defoe wrote about that, and he's a novelist. A novelist. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, now, Harrison yes. Ainsworth wrote the novel Rookwood in 1834, and he wrote that novel. It was basically about Dick Turpin, but he seems to have taken stories from you know what Defoe wrote and other people and Very clever. put all those yeah. stories together into one yeah. book. So it's just conflation of myth, really. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> And that book, Bookwood, is where we get our understanding of Dick Turpin from. Tales of <laughs> Daring Do from other writers, basically. Uh, an anthology, a compendium of other people's stories and put Dick Turpin's name on them. Um, for example, Ainsworth tells the story of Turpin riding with Claude Duval, who was a French aristocrat. Um, it would have been a neat trick because Duval was executed in 1670, you know, many years before Turpin was even born. <laughs> So Duval was a French aristocrat. The story he's most famous for was that uh, in, the, in the course of a robbery, he offered to return some of the money if the lady of the carriage agreed to dance the curante. Okay. Excellent. <laughs> which apparently she did. 
and uh, he goes what a dog. gentleman I mean they still got robbed <laughs> the people who did a dance but for some reason they thought oh, he was nice wasn't he I'm assuming I'm assuming that if he's aristocratic that doesn't always mean so but he probably had money of his own anyway yeah so I'm guessing that he's more of a hobbyist highwayman than he only robs his own professional highwayman posh people <laughs> well that's the story you know yeah okay and then through the mid-19th century, of course, after that, you got all the penny dreadfuls and what have you. And the story just became more and more romanticised. It kind of became, and it turned into this Robin Hood character. It's funny, isn't it? How or why? I mean, it, by then, it's total disassociation, yeah, meaning exactly. it, it just doesn't matter, does it? It's just it, they've turned it into a story and they're romanticising a story that is merely... I mean, it would obviously be written down, but mainly hearsay, and and that of legend. It's interesting, though, isn't it? How we know? Well, I know nothing of his original uh, crimes. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you're right. There's not. There's. Um, I mean, I don't think I've ever watched any form of documentary on him at all. It's just. It's just turned into kind of. Not fairy tale, but not far off. But then the only th- yeah, the only thing that is remembered a bit about Dick Turpin is the fact that his name was Dick and Turpin. The rest of it is all made up. <laughs> you have to dig hard to find the, what what he was. You know, if the character in Rookwood hadn't been called Dick Turpin, there would be no legend of Dick Turpin at all. If it'd been called under another name, a fictional name. We wouldn't even know about it, but because his we called Dick Turpin, and Dick Turpin was a real person who existed. He rode a horse, Dick Turpin on a horse, a horse-based <laughs> kind of existence was is the only other <laughs> yeah. thing. But yes, it's so a you're right. Yeah. The, three things, three things we know about him. His name was Dick and Turpin, and, and it was a horse-based <laughs> life. <laughs> and highwayman. Well, that's four, about it, four it? things we know about him. <laughs> Two, uh, three, no, four. And he was a butcher. Five, he was five a skilled things. butcher. <laughs> <laughs> then after the writing, of course, you enter the movie age. So you've got movies and you've got plays going on. You've got uh, Dick Turpin's Last Ride to York, 1906. Uh, you've got Dick Turpin's Ride to York in 1922. These are silent films. The ones, the only films really, the only things that we would really be most aware of is uh, the 1974 Carry On film, Carry On Dick. Oh, Carry On Dick, <laughs> yes, of course. Yes, of course. Who played, who played Turpin in Carry On Dick? Oh, Sid James, of course. <laughs> Was it? Do you know any of the other characters? I'm just checking that Charles Hawtrey was definitely robbed. <laughs> <laughs> Wave it, waving a hanky, no less. Yes. <laughs> oh, hello. <laughs> I remember Bernard Breslau being naked in it. Who would have been a nobleman. I don't yeah, know why that's a memory that I have. It is just a saucy romp. A saucy romp. <laughs> There's no cartoon of him, is there? I'm sure there is. There's a comic strip in Lookin' magazine. Yes, I remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was based on the But TV that was series. just drawings of... Yeah, yeah. Lots of it was all serious, wasn't it? It was all. Sorry, it, it was it was based on the TV series. Yeah, yeah, okay. But we all loved him in the end. Whoa, there, Bess. Well, that he would have said that. I guarantee he would have said that. Whoa, there, Bess. Uh, well, he never had a horse named <laughs> Bess. 
So Richard O'Sullivan, the actor of what we are talking about, lives down the road. In fact, he lives near Rue. That's true, he does live near me. He's ten minutes walk away. In the utterly brilliant, but also utterly bizarre... Yeah. What would we call it? A, a retirement people, home. Yeah, yeah, they, they, that's better yeah. phrasing. Retirement home for, well, as far as I'm concerned, it's for comedy actors from the 70s, but, <laughs> but I've got a feeling it's wider. It's just actors and actresses, which is still, I'm still convinced is like, apart from like military people, are there any other, I mean, you don't have a retirement home for bakers. It's, it's very specific, isn't it? Um, yeah, well, it's it's run by the Royal Variety. Yeah, it's, it's entertainers, isn't it? Oh, is it? Okay, so yeah, so it's yeah. It's I wonder if any machine. connection to acting, meaning if you were a, I don't know, you were a, worked on the lighting rig for, <laughs> um, you know, well, on... Bruce Forsyth's first wife yes. was there, what? Penny Calvert. She stayed there. Yeah. Oh, I thought you were going to say Anthea Redfern. <laughs> I I don't want it to be that way. I just want it to be. Uh, 70s comedy actors because they'll all be out trying to outdo each other in the in the yeah. kind of can you imagine the breakfast table conversation <laughs> that's what i'm saying that's what i'm saying yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the clashes of ego that would go on yes exactly yeah, yeah absolutely yeah. colossal egos just oh, colliding. have you seen him he saw when he was in please sir oh you'd never he he was horrible at you know they'd all They'd all slag. I bet they all slag each other off. <laughs> Look, I mean, can you can you imagine Mick McManus, who's the uh, is he the he was the boxer, wrestler, wrestler, wasn't he? Wrestler, yeah. yeah, yeah. He was the wrestler. Can you imagine him sitting down for breakfast with Captain Birdseye? I could, now I can't think of anything else. What do you mean? Well, Why are you <laughs> saying those ones? It's John or well, John Hewitt, they... who was Captain Birdseye, uh, he was also resident there. Oh right, so those two were former. Oh right, so that that means it is a wider. Absolutely, yeah. So they... people in adverts, a yeah. comedy wrestler, and of course fa- famous DJ Alan Freeman. Fluff, he was there as well. Wow, wow, Fluff well, Freeman. That's good. Yeah. Well, he'll he'll be determined to run the uh, retirement home radio. <laughs> Americans may. Amer- That's my dream dinner party. <laughs> they all, well, they yeah. might. They might recognise a name like uh, Sir Norman Wisdom. He was there, was he? Yeah, yeah. But this is the trouble with I'd find with him is when he starts shouting Mr. Grimsdale and falling over. Yeah. Nurses would probably just ignore him. Yeah. He, oh, he's just he's, ha- he's just clowning. He's again. having a turn. Yeah, when he just gets up and walks into a wall and falls out of his guys. That's just Norman. He's, <laughs> he's just doing his act again. <laughs> I would have thought. I would have thought he'd sort himself out, but clearly not. The, uh, Mick McManus would definitely not have been Captain Birdseye. Forget it. Yes, I have seen your fish fingers, mate. <laughs> uh, those are probably the best known former ones that I've mentioned. I think. Yeah. yeah. Although, sorry, uh, Dame Thora Heard. Really? Yeah. Dame Thora Heard. Wow. I've had a letter from Rita. <laughs> From Keithley. Really? That, that's a big one, I'd say. Yeah. The songs of praise, big got, in America. Yeah, definitely got a dame and a sir. Nicely anticlimactic. Let's end on that. And the, the other thing that I wanted to talk about was I, I tried to find out more information on Mary Brazier because I thought there must be a story with her because she was, as you mentioned, the fence for the, for the um, what were they called? What the Gregory, the Gregory gang. gang. So I thought, oh, well, there must be an interesting story about that. Unfortunately, there's very, very little known about her. But I did discover that her autograph came up for auction in 2008. Um, her, I say 
autograph. Oh, her, her mark is, across. It is sadly yeah, an yeah. X. She wasn't oh, taught to God. write <laughs> as um, as Turpin was. Although Turpin's Turpin's education was only three months, mm. so he was either a very rapid learner or really not a very good. Writer. How, how can he you... made his writing easy to recognise? How can you persuade that that's her autograph? Someone it wrote is, next well, to as, this is her autograph. Exactly, exactly. That's what they did. Is she would she would write an X, and someone would write next to it. This is the true, you know, mark of Mary Brazier. But how would she know that that's what they'd written? Right, right. Yeah. So that yeah, that came up for auction in two thousand and eight. So someone has that in their private collection. I mean, I can't imagine that went for much, but well, it's a Dick Turpin memorabilia. You know, it's, yeah, for three pounds ten shillings. That's all for this time. If you want to know more about what we've discussed over the course of this episode, just Google it or something. You can see daily true crime updates on our Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. You can email us or you can support the show with a PayPal donation. And links to all of those are on our website at truecrimediary.co.uk. Don't forget to send us a review or post one in your podcast service if you can. And all five-star reviews will get a shout-out on a future episode. Join us next time when we'll be similarly discussing and digressing on another event in true crime history. Until then, my thanks to Jed and Rue. My name's Mark and we'll see you on the next date in our true crime diary.